Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis trumpet and this is something we see in the book of acts we see a church that prayed we see a church that didn't sit back idly in the midst of persecution in the midst of catastrophe but we see a church that prayed and tonight we're going into part eight of our book of acts teachings you can find one through seven on the channel and i just want to recap for some of you that weren't here last week acts chapter 10 we saw the holy spirit leading peter to minister to cornelius and his family and as peter is preaching and i believe this is something prophetic for us tonight as i'm preaching to you guys tonight as Peter is preaching, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit fell upon the Gentiles, fell upon those that were not even in the Jews' eyes considered eligible for the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you tonight that the Holy Spirit can fill you as we're preaching. The Holy Spirit could empower you as we're preaching. As I'm preaching tonight, I believe tonight is a prophetic word. I want you to believe for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In fact, as I'm preaching, I'm saying, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, fill me with your power. I want to know you. Can you be filled more than once? Yes, you can. They were filled multiple times in the book of Acts. And if God filled them with the Holy Spirit, I believe that God wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit. So Peter's ministering. They get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Peter gets back to the church and has to answer to why he's ministering to the Gentiles. And his conclusion is God is no longer showing partiality. That this Holy Spirit, this new covenant, this new revival movement is for everybody. That there's nobody cut out or cut off from the power of the Holy Spirit. So I don't care where you came from. I don't care what your family was involved in. I don't care what your background was. I don't care what your skin color, your economic status, or your political uh, leanings are. The Holy Spirit is for everybody. The Holy Spirit outpouring, there's no more partiality. This is for every race. This is for every ethnicity. This is for everyone, every social status. Doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. The Holy Spirit will be poured out upon all that will receive him. And all you have to do is you ask for the Holy Spirit. How do you get the Holy Spirit? You ask. Jesus said, if you ask the Father, he won't give you something bad if you ask for something good. So tonight, we ask for the Holy Spirit. Lord, we're open to your Holy Spirit. We're open to your power. We want the Holy Spirit to fill us. We want the power of God in our lives. We want intimacy with God. So let that be your prayer tonight. Let that be your posture tonight. Let that be your desire tonight that, Lord, I want your Holy Spirit. I can't survive without your Holy Spirit. I can't be a good father without the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't be a good husband without the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't do the job that God has called me to do in these last days. I am dependent on the Holy Spirit. Friend, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, I couldn't preach. I could not go live without the Holy Spirit. When I get up there and I'm preaching with no notes for an hour, that's the Holy Spirit. That's not me. I have no gifts. I have no talents in the natural sense. It is the power of the unction and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We need to be beggars. We need to be needy. We need to be relying on the Holy Spirit. We can't live our lives okay without him. I don't want to live without him. I don't want to be so gifted when it comes to preaching that I could prepare a nice message and live void of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit like we've never needed him 
in these last days. And that's what the book of Acts shows us. These are people that were led by the Holy Spirit, that were walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, and that were dependent on the Holy Spirit in their lives. In Acts 11, the disciples went out preaching everywhere. And in Antioch, this was the first place they were called Christian. In Acts 12, Herod began to harass the disciples and arrest Peter with plans to kill Peter. And then ultimately, an angel breaks Peter out of prison. And how many know that when the church prays, there's results? And Peter shows up to the church that's praying for him, knocks on the door, and they say, it must be Peter's ghost. It must be Peter's angel. It must be a spirit. It can't be Peter at the door. And they don't even believe the prayers that we're praying and the prayers that they were praying. And so we need to make sure that as we're praying, as we're asking God, save my family, as we're asking God, save my marriage, as we're asking God, end this war or do this thing or move upon someone's life, that we believe God a hundred percent. The Bible says, if you pray double-minded, what you receive is nothing. So he goes, you're going to get something and what you get is nothing. So don't be double-minded in your prayers. Make sure that when you're praying, you're going into prayer saying, God, I believe you at your word. I believe what you said you're going to do. And so Peter gets broke out of prison and now there is a powerful revival happening in Antioch. And Antioch is, is significant because Antioch is, and we're going to teach strong tonight, is the first place the Jews freely shared the good news with pagans. It was the first place that large numbers of non-Jews believed and were brought into the church. So this was this was incredibly significant because for the first time ever, now non-Jews are being brought in. Non-Jews are being saved and they're being welcomed into the church. It's the first place the disciples are called Christians. It's the first place to send humanitarian aid to the hungry Jerusalem Christians. It's the first place for the church to recognize the partnership of Saul and Barnabas, who are going to go on missions, who are going to preach the gospel for years together and see the kingdom of God established. So there was a lot of firsts in Antioch. There's a lot of power and revival happening in Antioch. And we're going to start in Acts 13 if you're with us. We're doing the New King James Version if you're following along, but Acts 13.1 says, Now in the church that was in Antioch, there was certain prophets and teachers. So this is very important to recognize the church in Antioch had prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was also called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manane, who had been brought up with Herod um, and the Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So interesting here because the very opening verse of Acts 13 was... Two offices functioning, the office of the prophet and the office of the teacher. So we have prophets, which shows us in the early church the need for prophecy. This was not something that was like a side ministry or wasn't a big deal. The prophets were helping lead the move of God. And here we had teachers and prophets working together and were teaching the people. So the prophets are prophesying, speaking the word of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, is speaking to his church through the prophets and we have teachers that are teaching the new converts how to follow God, which is what we're doing tonight. We're not only prophesying tonight and speaking on behalf of God and inspired by God and the Holy Spirit is speaking through us, but we're also teaching the word of God and teaching people how to follow Jesus. So we still need both in the church today. Now, many people preach, there's no more modern day prophets. There's only pastors and teachers. And my question is, says who? Says who that there's only 
teachers and pastors. How do you reconcile Acts 13.1 where there's prophets and teachers working together? And I really believe, guys, one of the issues in the church is that we are picking and choosing what we think should be in the Bible. And so if we say we don't think there should be prophets or we don't understand prophets or we don't understand apostles, we only understand pastors and teachers, we teach a gospel that says this is not for today. And this is why we see in the church a powerless church. We see the average church at large is weak, is anemic, and unspiritual leaders, hear what I'm going to say here, create their own doctrines based on their preferences, but don't say the Bible says that. Don't say the Bible says there's no more prophets. Don't say the Bible says there's no more apostles because all you've done is you've taken five to 10 abstract verses and made them say what you want them to say. There is not one verse that says there's no more prophets. There's not one verse that says there's no more apostles. There's not one verse that says now it's only teachers and pastors. You're not going to find any biblical evidence that the offices or the gifts have ceased. This is man-made religious powerless tradition that is taught that there is no more offices. There's no more gifts. These things have stopped that we don't need them any longer. We do need them in the church. We need teaching in the church. Amen. In the chat. We need prophecy in the church. We need apostles in the church. We need the power of God in the church. So don't ascribe to the teaching that takes abstract verses out of context when the Bible's clear that right here in Acts 13, 1, there was prophets and there were also teachers together. So this was not an abstract thing. This was functioning in the early church, building the early church, and continues to build the church today. Is there new churches today? Yes. Is there people groups that have never heard the gospel? Yes. So why would it make sense to you that the gifts have seized when we still need the gifts of the spirit? Why would it make sense to you that the offices have seized when the church is still being built? All over the church is being built. There's constantly people that have never heard the name Jesus, have never been to a church, and we're constantly establishing churches. So the need for the fivefold ministry, according to Ephesians 4.11, is relevant today. So here we have Barnabas, who's the son of encouragement. The Bible says he's a good man full of the Holy Spirit in Acts 11.24. We have Simeon, whose nickname is Niger, which means, which is Latin for dark-skinned or black, and he's probably of African descent. We have Lucius, who's a North African from Cyrene, which is modern-day Libya. And we have Manane, or Manane. Again, some of these pronunciations vary, and some of them are just hard to say. His name means comforter. And then we have Saul, who's a trained rabbi, former persecutor of the Christians, brought to Antioch by Barnabas to help the disciples and to equip the converts. This was a radically mixed, diverse leadership that God chose to build his church and to lead this revival in Antioch. The church has always been diverse. The church has always been mixed. It's never been just one culture, one race, and one people group. It's always been a diverse people. And tonight, we have people watching from all over the world, different places, different colors, different ethnicities, different social statuses, different political views, and we can come together in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we can watch the presence and the power of God move, and God is not showing partiality. So it is necessary. If there was prophets and teachers, you can't say that there's just teachers now and we don't need prophets when God puts the two together in the early church. Again, guys, I apologize. I'm sweating here. Just ignore the sweat. I'm already just completely soaked here. It is hot where I'm at. It's one of the hottest days that we've had so far. Acts 13, two through three, as they minister to the Lord and fasted. I want you to notice what they're doing. They're worshiping, they're praying, they're ministering to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. 
Then having fasted and prayed more and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So notice what happens here. When we're worshiping and fasting, supernatural things begin to take place when you mix these things. Powerful things happen when you fast and pray. People complain all the time. Why isn't God doing this? Why isn't God doing that? Why am I not being used by God? Why is God not speaking to me? And the question is, the powerful encounters I've had, the direction God has given me, are during times of prayer and fasting. So we can't expect to sit around all day watching Netflix, watching Instagram, watching TikTok, watching Hulu and YouTube and all these things and living on Facebook all day and then expect God to lead us, to guard us, to guide us and to direct us in a powerful way. I have yet to have a real divine encounter while scrolling through entertainment on Facebook. I've yet to have an encounter while sitting at a movie theater. I've yet to have an encounter while sitting by the pool on vacation. I've yet to have an encounter while I'm just watching a secular movie. Are any of those things wrong? No, but don't expect to encounter God when you're not positioning yourself in the place of prayer, when you're not mixing prayer and fasting. We gotta mix these together because what we're gonna see is they're praying, they're worshiping, they're fasting, and then the Lord begins to move. So if you don't worship, if you don't pray, if you don't fast, if you don't live a supernatural spiritual life, you're not going to get spiritual results. You're not going to see God move the way you're asking God to move. When you pray, when you worship, when you fast, God begins to move. We as the church have to stop. Come on, I'm preaching. I'm sweating here. We have to stop being casual about spiritual things. If you have to schedule prayer, then schedule prayer. If you have to write on your calendar, these days I'm fasting, these days I'm praying, these days I'm getting in my word, nothing's gonna get in my way. My family's not gonna get in my way. My hobbies are not gonna get in my way. I'm going to prioritize God. For many of us, we can't remember the last time we got in the secret place. We can't remember the last time we got alone with God and we're mad going, God, why don't you ever speak to us? And God says, you keep blowing me off. I'm waiting in the secret place. I'm waiting for you. It's like that movie where they go get a, a table for two and the person never shows up and the waiter is like, is the person coming? Are you just by yourself? And we do this to God. God says, I'm waiting for you in the secret place. And we blow God off for Netflix and for Instagram and for TikTok and for all the distractions of the world. And God is saying, take spirituality serious. Take my presence serious. Take me serious and watch me do the miraculous in your life. The days of being casual are over. The days of being complacent. Come on, I wish I had somebody that knew what I was talking about. The days of being complacent are over. God is calling a remnant in these last days to get serious about prayer and fasting. And don't sit here and say, oh, brother, your preaching works. Hear me. Just let me just say this, please. The issue in the church at large, globally, not just America, globally, the issue in the church is not works, okay? If we keep saying, this is works, it's not about works, I see you guys in the comments say that on my videos, that is not the issue. If we were to look at the church in the world and say, what's the number one problem the church has? My first thought wouldn't be, oh, the church just works too much, right? Like, think about this. The church is just doing too much. Our problem is works. That is not our problem. Our problem is laziness. Our problem is complacency. Our problem is we claim to follow Jesus, but we don't pray, we don't fast, we don't read, we don't evangelize, and we don't know him. And we have this watered down version of Christianity that's not in the Bible. And then when anybody preaches, 
We should pray, guys. We should read. Like, anybody tries to get serious about God, oh, that brother's legalistic. Oh, Isaiah, he's legalistic. He preaches works. He preaches you can lose your salvation. Or the contrary, you preach you could do nothing for God and be God's fine with it. You preach, all you have to do is pray a little prayer and invite Jesus in your heart, and you're preaching a gospel that Jesus didn't preach. I don't find a cheap, easy gospel. In fact, if you read the parables of Jesus, he said, what, what army goes out and doesn't count the cost? What guy goes and builds a project, a tower, a building, and doesn't count the cost, and then he gets halfway done building and couldn't afford to build the rest? And Jesus keeps giving these parables of, there's a price to following me. That it's not just pray a prayer, go to church on Sunday, and just give your 5%, and just live in a dead church, and don't do nothing for God. That's not in the Bible. And friend, hear me tonight. That is a false gospel, and that is not what Jesus preached. Jesus preached a life laid down, a life of prayer, fasting, holiness, separation, consecration. And I'm telling you right now, the days of blaming it and saying, oh, holiness is works, that's not going to cut it when you stand before God. You will not stand before God and say, oh, well, Jesus, it wasn't about works. If it's if works don't matter, why does the book of Revelation say we get judged on our works? Why does the Bible say, let your works or your light shine before men so they can see your works and glorify your fathers in heaven? Why did James say, if we have faith but no works, our faith is dead? And who can that even, and how, what kind of faith or what, who could that save? Like that faith that you say you have that's dead, that can't save anybody. So we have to get out of this delusion, this lie that, oh, once you're saved, no one can take, you know, you're just good to go. Just do whatever you want and you'll go to heaven. It produces a lazy church and it's not a scriptural gospel. It is not what Jesus preached. It's not what Paul preached. The church was not founded on good services. It was not founded on conferences or church activities. It was not founded on how much can we meet to have service. It was founded on worship, fasting, prayer, holiness, consecration, and demonstration. This was the New Testament church. And some of you might say, well, Brother Isaiah, that stuff's boring. And that to the flesh, it is. To the flesh, prayer is boring. To the flesh, worship is boring. To the flesh, fasting is absolutely lame. And the issue is we have all these Christians that are led by the flesh. And so the church constantly needs new entertainment, constantly needs a new revelation, constantly needs new things to entertain your flesh because the spirit man is not the driving force in our life. The Holy Spirit's not driving, so we need another production, bigger smoke machines, bigger lights, bigger screens, more entertainment, more entertainment, more entertainment. The prayer meeting, nobody wants to show up. But we have the church play, the place is packed. We have the picnics, the parties, the carnivals, the trunk or treats, the, everybody shows up. Why? Because we have to keep entertaining the flesh. We have to keep entertaining people, giving them better coffee, bigger coffee spots and bigger restaurants in the churches, more donuts to get them in. And there's a constant need for entertainment. And if you think about it and you say, oh, well, I don't really know about that. Let's just think about this. The biggest churches in America are the most entertaining churches. Are we called to entertain people or to empower people? The biggest churches are the ones with the biggest entertainment, the biggest productions, the best looking people, the most relevant and the most carnal are the most popular churches. And can you imagine Jesus getting on these stages and just telling a few jokes and giving a watered down three point sermon? 
Jesus preached, repent, turn away from the things of this world, turn away from the carnality of the culture and follow after me. So is God boring? No, but if you're a fleshly Christian, then prayer probably is going to be boring to you. You need to crucify the flesh. I can't cast it out of you. I can't just, I need to get deliverance. Why? Well, because I don't ever pray or ever want to read. Yeah, your flesh doesn't want to. You don't need to get delivered. You need to crucify your flesh. You need to die to self. You need to make the choice that I'm not letting my flesh tell me what to do. I'm going to be intentional about it. So here they are. They're praying and worshiping, which we're going to get. Acts 13 is long, so we'll probably get through Acts 13. We'll go through Acts 14 quick. But the Holy Spirit's moving, and the Holy Spirit speaks prophetically. We don't know through who, but through one of the leaders or one of the people. Now, the Holy Spirit didn't speak directly to Barnabas or directly to Paul. And I know a lot of people in the church are, God told me, God told me, God told me, and God spoke to me, and God spoke to me, and that's all great. But one issue I do have in the church is we have all these people in revival and moves of God, and then all of a sudden God calls them away from the church and away from the move of God to go be with some boyfriend or some girlfriend or some dead church. And people tell me, well, God's calling me to leave this revival to go be with this guy or this girl. In my mind, I'm thinking... Is there leadership involved? Is there, are you submitting what God told you? We have to be careful that we don't create doctrines of God told me, God told me. If you are a lone ranger that you're not involved and you're not a part of a community or a church or something, a band of a group of believers and you're out there doing your own thing and it's always God told you, God told you, God told you, you need to be careful because in this meeting, God did not come and speak to Saul or Barnabas. God spoke through one of the people in the meeting. God spoke through a prophet there. And some people, I wonder, like, you heard God tell you to leave your church, even though it was on fire and radical, but you didn't hear God telling you to come out of sin. You didn't hear God telling you to leave that ungodly relationship. You never heard God tell you to stop gossiping or stop complaining. God never spoke to you and challenged your character. God never spoke to you and said, stop doing that. So if we're living these lifestyles and saying, God told me, God told me, make sure if God's telling you to do something, He's also calling you out of that ungodly relationship. He's also calling you out of that ungodly sin because oftentimes it's convenient what God tells us, right? We get the voice of God and we use it to fit our narrative, but it's never God called me out of compromise. It's always God called me into something I want to do. God called me to a place I want to go. God called me into a relationship that I want to have or a place that I want to be, but make sure that you're submitting that God told me or God told me and you're careful that you're not always God told me, God told me, God told me, because right here, the Holy Spirit did speak through one of the people in the meeting and basically said, I want you to separate. Again, this was how often how God speaks in group settings in the book of Acts. And the thing God spoke was separate to me, Barnabas, if you're having issues, just refresh. I know people are getting kicked out. Just refresh the broadcast. But he spoke and said, I want you to separate to me, Barnabas and Paul, or at that time it was Saul. So here's the number one thing you need to realize. If you want to be in ministry, if you want to be used of God, and just refresh, guys, I know we're losing signal here. If you want to be used of God, you need to be willing to be separated. As ministers, we are called to be separate in every sense, separated from our own desires, separated from our own motives, separated from the things of this world, separated from selfish ambition, selfish desires, separated from the desires to please people, the desires to pray, to be praised by people. Just refresh it, guys. Refresh it. We'll be back here. I know people are getting kicked. It's going fine on my end, but just refresh. We'll keep going here. But there has to be a separation. All right, it's buffering. Okay, now, all right, type one if you're good and it's not buffering any longer. We did drop some frames, but it looks like we're back. There's some server issues. It looks like on YouTube's end. But here's the thing you guys have to understand. God desires to separate you. I see ministers 
all the time that are not living a separated, consecrated life. And this is the thing you have to understand. If you want that level of ministry or that position in ministry, you have to be willing for God to separate. Maybe it's okay for you. And this is why when you guys ask me, should I watch this? Should I go here? Should I do this? I'm, I'm leery sometimes on making my convictions commandments because God has called me to a higher level of consecration and God has separated me unto himself for the work of the ministry. He's called me to a life of consecration and holiness. So people want ministry, but they don't want separation. And sometimes that separation does make you feel lonely. Sometimes that separation does make you feel isolated, but understand it's for the purposes of God, that God is not wanting to withhold. God doesn't want me to not have fun, but God has consecrated me. So if you're living that consecrated life, then don't be alarmed. If you're living that consecrated life, this is God calling you. Is it lonely? A lot of the times, yes. Is it sometimes where it's like, man, I have no friends. Nobody wants to live this life. Absolutely. But it's the life God has called me to live. And so sometimes I want to look at these ministers and go, why is it okay for you to live this way or act this way or talk this way or post these things or watch these things? And then I have to stop and go, wait a minute. I got to worry about me. I'm on the consecrated life. I'm on the road of consecration. God has separated me for the ministry he's called me to do. And maybe they've just not been separated. Maybe they're not in a place. Guys, I have given my life to this. I have completely separated myself from the desires I once had, from the opinions of this world, from the desires of this world. I'm cut off from the pleasures of this world that used to bring me joy and pleasure and peace. They are empty. And sometimes living this separated life, we can feel like, man, my life at times feels mundane or my life at times doesn't have that excitement in the world's eyes. But understand that one second in the presence of God is more pleasure than a thousand years in the, in the world's kingdom. A thousand years parting with the world. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God. So there's nothing worth losing his presence over. And if you want that level of consecration, if you want that level of ministry, if you want God to use you like that, you have to live the consecrated life. You have to be separated. And I believe tonight God wants to separate somebody. I believe tonight God is consecrating somebody and we know that God separated these people. So we know according to this verse, God communicates his will to us when we are worshiping, when we're setting aside our own desires and wants, when we're fasting, when we're living in spiritual harmony with other believers, when we're listening for his voice through other people, come on, when we're responding to what he wants us to do, and when we're willing to support each other in the will of God. These are all components that we're seeing in the book of Acts. And the Bible says after more prayer and fasting, they sent them. So we're like, look, God speaks in this meeting. God's sending people. We got to pray and fast more and make sure that this is God. You're never going to pray too much. You're never going to fast too much. You're never going to be on judgment day. And God is going to say, you were just too passionate. You were just too radical. You were just too excited. God is desiring a church that fasts, that prays, that studies, that knows him. Okay, we're in Acts 13, verse 4 through 5. If you're barely jumping on here, just refresh. I know people are getting kicked. It is what it is. Just refresh. Acts 13, 4 through 5. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, notice who sent them. They went down to Celestia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. So the Christians at Antioch surrounded Barnabas and Saul and John Mark as well. 
He was John, John, this John that they're speaking of is John Mark, who would later on go to writing the book of Mark, which would be the first gospel written. But this man, this young man at the time would go with him on these journeys. John Mark, who's the third member of the missionary team, was Barnabas's cousin, according to Colossians 4.10. John Mark was an eyewitness. So Barnabas and Saul were not eyewitnesses of Jesus, life and death. John Mark was an eyewitness. He was raised, we know, in a godly home. We know his mother's house was a gathering place for Christians in Jerusalem, according to Acts 12, 12. Later, he would be publishing the first gospel, which the gospel of Mark is widely accepted as the first gospel ever written. And this was significant that he's going on this journey with them. So here he is on this journey with Saul and Barnabas. And here's what they're going to do as leaders being sent out into the world is they're preaching in synagogues. Paul is going from church to church, synagogue to synagogue, preaching the word of God, preaching against religion, preaching against tradition, preaching this new baptism, preaching that Jesus is alive. The man that died is now alive, seated at the right hand of God. And Paul is going in there shaking up traditions and shaking up norms. And God is giving his people, the Jews, a chance at repentance. This is like the last shot here. This is the final call, the final trumpet, the alarm, the opportunity for the Jewish people to receive the message of Christ, that our Messiah is alive, that our Messiah is not coming. Our Messiah has come. We killed our own Messiah, but don't worry because he's raised from the dead. He's seated at the right hand of God. He's poured out his Holy Spirit and he shows no partiality. Now everyone can be saved. And the church, the synagogues, I should say, are rejecting the message. So now God says, I got to bring this message to the Gentiles. This is why revival right now as I speak is breaking out outside the church. Remember when the letter goes out to invite them to the wedding banquet, Jesus said those that were not invited, they ended up coming. And when those that I sent... I invited them. They said they couldn't come because we're too busy. So God says, I want the church. I've called the church. I set the wedding invitation, the parable to go to the church, to my people. But because my people have rejected my message, they've rejected the gospel. Now I'm going to go to the highways and the byways to the Gentiles, to those that were the outcasts and those ones will be saved. And you think about this guys, I was an atheist when I got saved. Why? Why would God need to call someone like me when there's all these Christians? And the answer is they said no. The pastors, the leaders, they didn't want to preach this radical message that God's called me to preach. And so God said, I got to raise up an atheist because the church has rejected me. The Bible says he came to his very own and his very own John chapter one did not receive him. They rejected him. And so he went to those that weren't intentional, weren't initially invited into the kingdom. And this is why we see revival happening amongst entertainment, amongst movie stars, celebrities, and God does not need our permission. It's because the church has rejected the message of repentance. And friend, who knows? Who knows if tonight is your last night to hear this message? Who knows if this will be the last night? Who's to say that you don't die tonight or die tomorrow? This could be realistically the last message I ever preach. This could be the last message you ever hear. So we can't put repentance on our calendar. We can't say, I'll repent next week. I'll get right next week. I'll get my act together in a month from now. Come on, share this because you might not have a month from now. You might not have a year from now. This could be our last live stream for any of us. So we need to heed the word of the Lord. Do not ignore the trumpets. Do not ignore the final call. 
Do not ignore, ignore when God sets off the alarm and says, now is the time to turn to me. Like right now, maybe you're on the fence and you're like, I don't really know. You need to figure it out tonight. You don't have time to play church. You don't have time to play games or going through the motions. So if we are to examine just Acts 13 and 14, you're going to find the strategy for planting new churches. It was go where the gospel's never been heard, concentrate on highly populated areas, first share the good news of Christ in God-fearing synagogues, stay a short time with the believers that get converted, establish a church, move on, trusting that the Holy Spirit to these new believers is going to help them lead the church and then revisit these young churches to encourage believers and to confirm the leaders and then return home to the base or the church that sent you and give the report. That was the biblical way that the church would spread. It was through this model of preaching the unreached people groups, establishing churches, coming back and encouraging them. There was signs and wonders. There's deliverances breaking out. The move of God is unstoppable. And then the church would grow. Acts 13, 6 through 8. Now they had gone through the island of Paphos. They found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who is with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So here they are. Their last stop is a Providence, a capital, Paphos, a pagan city, notorious for immorality connected with worship of the love goddess, the Paphian. And when the proconsul Sergius Paulus got wind that Paul and Barnabas are teaching the word of God, he wants to know more. He desires to learn about God, to learn about the way. And the problem was there is a bar Jesus. This was a man who had mixed Jewish, Jewish religion with witchcraft. Judaism and witchcraft, he mixed them together. He's what the Bible calls a false prophet or a sorcerer. And friend, this is the day we're living in. We're living in a church age where Christianity is mixed with witchcraft, where Christianity is mixed with occultism and demonic things and worldliness. Now, some of you might say, Isaiah, you're far-fetched saying this. Let's just think about this. What is the world considered? The kingdom of darkness. Worldliness The Bible says if we are friends to the world of the world, we are enemies of God. So the world is darkness, right? The devil runs the world. He is the God lowercase g of this world. The Bible says that everybody is under his power and deceived by him in the book of Revelation. So that's the world. If we're bringing, just refresh guys, I know we're buffering here. The internet's going crazy. Pray for it. If we're bringing the world into our churches, that is witchcraft. If we're bringing, I really hope we stay connected here in Jesus name. Just refresh here, guys. In Jesus' name, signal come back in Jesus' name. I really hope it doesn't disconnect us like it did last week. All right, type one. I know some of you are are reconnecting here. Type one if you're still with me. So if we bring the world systems, the world's music, the world's culture, the world's desires, the world's ambitions and motives to have a good job and have a nice family, all the worldly things, and we bring them into the church, we are inviting in the kingdom of darkness. We are welcoming in Satan and his kingdom. Now, it's not necessarily what you'd call sorcery or magic or this, but it's a mixture of Christianity and sorcery. And this was the man. He was a sorcerer. He was a false prophet, and he brought in a mixed message. And this is what we see in the churches when we allow this in the church. Now, this man attached himself to the proconsult, attached himself to this man, 
and deceived him. And you have to be careful who you let attach themselves to you. You have to be careful who you've let come into your life and bring deception. Oh man, I hope we reconnect here. It looks like we've disconnected. In Jesus' name, please work. Please work. We're going to try to reconnect here. Come on, reconnect in Jesus' name. Are we back? Oh, I hope it doesn't stay disconnected here. We're going to give it a second here. I know it's frozen, guys. I can see it on my end. In Jesus' name, work, please. Guys, if we do get disconnected, I'll have to start a brand new stream, so please stay with me. In Jesus' name. All right, we're back. Okay, stay with us, guys. Just refresh. Fight with us. Don't. It's discouraging when you guys jump off when we have issues, so please. Come on, the devil is a liar. We come against you, Satan, in Jesus' name. All right, hopefully it's working. Okay, it looks like it's working. It's not just Facebook or YouTube, guys. My whole system was going out here. Okay, we're back. So, here you have a man that's attached, attached himself to a government official. Now, it was common in those days, it looks like we're back, for government officials to employ sorcerers, fortune tellers, wizards, witches, as and mediums as their advisors. And this sorcerer is afraid because his boss may become a Christian and put him out of business. And this is why Satan is so mad about the type of preaching we're preaching tonight. This is why the devil's so mad about this, because this type of preaching puts the devil out of business. Revival. This is why religion hates revival, because revival puts religion out of business. This mixed message, this mixed witchcraft and Christianity mixed together, when we preach the true word of God, it puts it out of business and the devil's afraid of being put out of business. So this man is afraid that if this guy gets saved, I'm losing my job. And so he attaches himself to the government and you need to understand the plan of the devil is to attach himself to you. Some of you don't realize that you're not watching this broadcast by yourself, but there are things that are attached to you. Whether that's a spirit of depression, a spirit of anxiety, a spirit of anger or hatred or religion or bitterness or addiction, the devil desires to attach himself to you. And this is like a leech. A leech will attach itself to its victim. When a leech attacks its, uh, attaches itself to its victim, it releases a chemical so that you can't feel it biting you. So it could literally be sucking your blood, sucking the life out of you, and you can't even feel it because the chemical it releases. And this is what happens when the enemy attaches himself to us. It's not always a painful, immediate thing. Oftentimes it's slow. Oftentimes it's subtle. Oftentimes demons hide for years. You don't even know they're there, but they're sucking the life out of you. They're draining you. They're working in the background. This might be a person that's attached himself to you. And you're like, this person drains me. This person wears me out. And God is saying, we need to remove these people. We need to get these people out of our lives. These people are leeches that are sucking the light out of us. So this guy is leeching onto this government official and he's preventing him from hearing the gospel. The Bible makes it clear that this man was an intelligent man. But just because the man was smart doesn't mean he can't fall prey to the enemy. People say, well, I'm too smart to fall into that. I'm too smart to fall or believe this deception. But understand that you can be smart in the natural realm and dumb in the spiritual realm. There's a huge difference between being smart in the natural realm and being smart in the spiritual realm. Some of the smartest people in the world are ignorant in the spiritual realm. 
Some of the smartest people in the world know nothing about the way the spiritual realm works and are being prayed to the enemy in the spiritual realm. And so we need to be spiritually intelligent. And this only comes by spiritual intelligence only comes by prayer. It only comes by fasting. It only comes by knowing the word of God. It's not enough just to be smart in the natural sense and be a government official. So this man is now inviting Saul and Barnabas wanting to hear the word of God. And this is another thing I want to draw out. The world desires to hear the word of the Lord. It doesn't matter how much money they have, how popular, how influential. This man desired to hear the word of God because there's a longing in every soul. There's a longing in every person for the true God of the Bible. There's a longing in the heart of every atheist for the God of the Bible. There's a longing in the heart of every movie star for the God of the Bible. There's a hunger and there is a desire for in every person. Nobody wants to serve a fake God. Nobody wants to serve a weak, inferior God. Every person desires the God of the Bible because our God is the only God that brings true healing. Our God is the only God that brings true life. Our God is the only God that can make you feel true peace, true joy. Come on, am I preaching tonight? True happiness. Stop buying into the lie that the rich don't want God. Stop buying into the lie that people that are popular don't want God. Stop buying into the lie that they're not interested in God. Every nation, every tongue, every tribe has a void on the inside of them. This is why we see athletes and celebrities at an alarming rate say, I'm empty, I'm suicidal, I'm depressed. How? Because the money can't fill the void. The pleasure can't fill the void. The money, the women, the houses, the cars, it can't fill the void. There's a desire in them. And so Paul and Barnabas are preaching with no fear, no hesitation, and they're boldly preaching. And he's interfering, urging the man to not pay attention. This is the enemy's plan. The enemy doesn't want you to pay attention to what God is saying, to what God is doing. Think about it. Why is there such a fight for your attention? Why is it so addicting to be on social media all day? And think about it. Like if we sit down for just three seconds, five seconds, I know this is how I am. And I'm praying, Lord, deliver me from this within like 20 seconds. I got to be checking my phone. Like we can't just sit still quietly without being on our phone or doing something where we're so, it's so hard to keep our attention these days. It's a miracle that so many of you stay on here as I'm preaching for so long because of TikTok. We have a 10 second attention span. Why? Because the devil's fighting for our attention. This man was fighting for this guy's attention. He did not want him. He urged him. Don't pay attention to this. But God is saying we need to get delivered from letting the world babysit our brain. We need to get delivered from this anxiety of always having to be on something, on a device, watching something or typing something or calling somebody. We got to learn to be still and know that he is God. Some of us are afraid of thinking. Like literally, we are afraid of being alone with our brain. And so we will sit there and if our brain's alone, we start thinking of all these anxious thoughts and all these things we have to get done and all these deadlines and all this pain. And we have this quick, quick, quick attention span. But God is saying, I want to liberate you from that. And I'm praying that for myself tonight. I don't want to be that way. I hate when I'm like that. And I hate how I'm like that. I'm saying, God, I want to make sure that my attention span is unlimited when it comes to you. I don't want to be this goldfish Christian where my attention span so quick that I can't be in the presence of God, that I can't spend time with God. The culture is killing our attention span just like Bar-Jesus was. We can't allow it to distract us. Acts 13, 9 through 12. Then Saul, who is called Paul. So I want you to notice here. Then Saul, 
who also is called Paul. This will be the first time we see this. I'll share about this later. Filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O fool of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight way of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for some time. And immediately a dark cloud fell upon him, or dark mist, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. In Acts 13.9, the author sneaks in this information that Saul's name will now be for the rest of the book of Acts, Paul, which is Saul is his Jewish name, his parents members of the tribe of Benjamin, according to Philippians 3.5. They named their son Israel's first king Saul a Benjamite. Like many Jews, especially those living outside Jerusalem, they also gave him a Greek name, which was Paul. Saul being the king, Paul is a Greek, is Greek for little. So Saul means king or above the people, leader, man of reputation, the man everybody looks up to. But God is saying, I'm calling you to be Paul. I'm calling you to be humbling yourself to be lower or to be little. So now Saul, who is named after the first king of Israel, is high and exalted, is now going to be brought down as Paul, which means lowly. It means humble. And this is what I, this is how I want to live my life. I want to be low. I want to be little. God tells me, go lower, go lower, go lower. I want to prefer others over myself. Some people say humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. I want to prefer other people over myself. And the question we have to ask as ministers, as preachers, as, as Christians, am I a Saul Christian? where I want to be exalted, be praised and worshiped as a king? Or am I a Paul Christian, where I want to be low, I want to be humble, I want to be little? It's nothing wrong with God exalting you, because the Bible says if you humble yourself, God will exalt you. The issue is when we begin to exalt ourselves and let people praise us, I don't ever want anyone to make me an idol or anyone to ever worship me or praise me. So Paul goes to this man, this bar Jesus, this sorcerer, and confronts him face to face. And this is what God is saying. We have to stop avoiding things in our life. How long are you going to run from that thing in your life? It's time to start confronting it. Confront depression tonight. Confront anxiety tonight. Confront your addiction tonight. Confront your anger tonight. Confront your stress. Confront it. Don't run from it. They must be confronted. Paul didn't run away afraid of the guy. Paul says, the only way I'm going to deal with Satan's kingdom or this false prophet sorcerer is I'm going to confront him. Now I want you to notice what Paul said about him. He said, you are full of deceit and fraud. You are the son of the devil. You are an enemy of all righteousness. You pervert the straight way of the Lord and the hand of God is upon you. You will now be blind. Okay. And some of you say, Isaiah, why are you so harsh? Think about it. Paul was not shrinking back. Paul was not weak. He wasn't like these jellyfish pastors that have no backbone. Paul told him, called him for what he was, and said, no, we're not playing games with sorcerers, false prophets, and false leaders, and directly confronted what was going on. Now, the Bible says the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done. The demonstration of God's power brings people into belief in God. Miracles do this. When miracles happen, it brings people into belief in God. When deliverance happens, 
it brings people into belief in God. Demonstration of the power of God leads people to God, not away from God. Nobody walks away from a deliverance or demons being cast out and says, oh, praise the devil. Deliverance draws people in awe of God and draws people to follow God. Miracles, demonstrations of power. What was this? This was a demonstration of power. The kingdom of God being more powerful than Satan's kingdom. And it drew the government official, the proconsul, to serving God. So get out of here with that, oh, deliverance brings glory to the devil. Oh, miracles bring glory to the devil. Miracles don't glorify God. It's not about miracles. This miracle, this demonstration of power, Paul rebuking this guy and him going blind, it actually drew people towards God. It actually drew people towards the kingdom. It did not draw people away from the kingdom of God. Acts 13, 13. Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga and Paphalia. These are all, guys, I know I'm butchering the pronunciations. It's okay, all right? And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Now here we see in Acts 13, 13, something interesting happens. John Mark is now going to leave Paul and Barnabas. We don't know why. Some scholars say the confrontation with this false prophet sorcerer shook him up so bad. Some people say he was homesick. Some people say he was resentful towards Paul for making his cousin Barnabas the team leader. Some say he had second thoughts about preaching to the Gentiles. We have no clue. Your guess is as good as mine. It's all speculation. We don't know why John Mark would leave them. But in Acts 13, 13 would be when John Mark departed from Saul or now I'm going to call him Paul. Paul and Barnabas, Acts 13, 14 through 16. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and um, Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them saying, men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then in verse 16, Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. Okay, so in the first century synagogue, distinguished visitors were often asked to speak. And the Apostle Paul understood this was a perfect place for me to preach the gospel. So they said, hey, do you men have anything to say? And this was common practice because these men were respected in the synagogue. And then he begins to preach. Now, listen, from Acts 13, 17 to Acts uh, 13, 41. So this is from verse 17 to verse 41. I'm not going to go and read this entire thing because it's way too long and it's repetitive to what we've already read. Paul is going to preach to them in the synagogue. And it's similar to what we've seen over and over and over. If you've been with us in this study is they're going to preach about Christ. They're going to preach the history of the Jews, the history of God's people. And this is the message Paul's preaching. So let me categorize his bullet points in the sermon. Okay, these are the sermon points that Paul preached. You can read it later. It's very long. But here's the sermon points Paul preached. God gave Israel, Canaan as their homeland. God gave them great leaders, judges, kings, especially King David, a man after God's own heart. God promised to send David's descendants to rescue both Jewish children of Abraham and Gentile friends of God. He's here. He's the Savior, Jesus. The people and their leaders in Jerusalem failed to recognize the Savior. He was crucified and buried, and God raised him from the dead. Everything God promised Israel is God promised Israel is fulfilled in the resurrected Jesus. Here's what it comes down to, and this is his entire sermon. Anyone may be forgiven of his or her sins and justified before God through Jesus and what Jesus and Jesus only accomplished. The law of Moses could never do that. And so this leaves you with a choice. This is his sermon. You either trust Jesus or 
you refuse to believe. So those are the two choices. When the gospel is preached, you either trust Jesus or you refuse to believe. And that's the gospel message. And this is what Paul is preaching in Acts 13, 42 through 45. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. In verse 44, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came to hear the word of God. This is awesome here. But when, when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. The, they opposed the things Paul spoke. So the word spread and the next Sabbath, I'm just giving you guys the picture because this is really storytelling here. Almost the entire city came to hear the word of God. All right. Acts 13 verses 46 through 49. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it. So you guys seen the pattern here. They reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and they glorified the word of the Lord. And as many had been appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was sped throughout all the region. So this was the strategy. Take the message to the Jews in the synagogue. Some received it. Most of them didn't. Then we go preach to the Gentiles. And the church grew rapidly when, hear me tonight, okay, I know we're teaching here, when the disciples decided to take their focus off the religious people, let me say that again for some of you sitting in the back, the church began to rapidly grow when the disciples decided to take their focus off the religious people and start reaching those who had never heard the gospel and whose hearts were not hard towards Jesus. This is where it's at today. Most of the people that we're going to reach are those that have soft hearts, the religious people, they don't like the message. They don't like repentance. They don't like signs and wonders. They don't like the power of God. They don't like revival. And so we have to go to those that are in the highways and byways, those that are dying in the church, dying for the truth. Many of you in the chat right now, because we've been rejected by the religious system that kicks out the move of God, that doesn't want deliverance, doesn't want miracles, doesn't want repentance, doesn't want preaching on hell, doesn't want holiness, doesn't want the gospel with power. They kick it out and reject it. They want their games. They want their show. They want their tradition. They want their powerless religion. Paul says they have a form of godliness, but they deny the very power that can make them like God. And so we go to those that want it. Acts. All right. So Acts um, 13, 50 through 52. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they expelled them from the region. But they shook the dust off their feet against them, and they went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy with the Holy Spirit. So this is the repeat story over and over. I know you guys are like, haven't you preached this three or four times? I know. This is the repeat story. They preach in the synagogue. They get kicked out of the synagogue. They dust their feet off, and they move to the next place. Here's the message to you tonight. If somebody rejects the message, dust your feet off and move on to the next person. Don't be discouraged. Don't get angry. Don't debate. This is why I don't debate people. Listen, if you don't like the message, if you don't want it, if you don't believe what the gospel says about this, then I'm going to dust my feet off and I'm going to move on and preach to people that want it. So I don't need to argue with religious people. I don't need to argue with Pharisees and Sadducees and try to debate people on what I believe and what the Bible says and what's for today and what's for not today. I'm going to dust my feet off. There's always going to be people 
that want the word of God with power and want the truth and the gospel. Okay, let's go to Acts 14. This won't be long, probably another five or 10 Pentecostal minutes, all right? Acts 14, one through seven. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews. Here they are at the synagogue again and spoke that a great multitude of both Jews and the Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Okay, notice that there. Therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who is bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So God is validating their message. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part sided with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia. And, and to the surrounding region, and they were preaching the gospel there. So here's what they're doing. They're going out, again, in the synagogue preaching. They're getting kicked out. And the Bible says, and I want you to understand and emphasize this, with signs and wonders done by their hands. God validated the message. So we're seeing, again, signs and wonders. What types of signs and wonders? Probably the signs and wonders we saw in Acts chapter 8. Miracles demons cast out, the power of God being released upon people, baptism of the Holy Spirit. These are signs and wonders. Remember, the casting out of demons, according to Jesus, is a miracle. So when the Bible says miracles are being done, that's also casting out demons because Jesus said, don't stop them from casting out demons. Nobody that does a miracle in my name will speak bad about me. So it is a miracle when people get demons cast out of them. It is a miracle when people get physically healed. So these are the signs and wonders likely that were taking place in Acts chapter 13. And the results of their efforts were some believed, others didn't believe. But the ones that didn't believe, when people don't believe the message, they don't just not believe and leave you alone. The Bible says they poisoned those minds of those that were against the disciples and caused people to be against the men of God. Now, it's interesting as to today, when someone doesn't believe a certain message, they don't just sit back. They try to poison everybody else so that everybody else also doesn't believe the message. So if we don't believe, for example, in healing ministry or modern day apostles or prophets or casting out of demons for today or whatever you could think of that we preach about, right? And we believe in, we believe the word of God says this. We know Jesus did this and we preach it. We demonstrate it. We believe the full counsel of God, the full gospel. Others that don't, they don't believe whether it's for today or whatever. Rather than them saying, we just don't believe that, they feel that it's their calling to poison everybody else's mind so that everybody else also doesn't believe that. And this is what the religious Jews were doing. They were trying to poison the minds of everybody else, even though the disciples were doing signs and wonders, doing miracles. They still wanted to make sure that we poison everybody else's mind so everyone else is against Paul and against Barnabas, ultimately leading Paul and Barnabas to having to flee the city and fear of persecution. Verbal abuse and slander are the devil's favorite weapons. Whenever you have a preacher or teacher using verbal abuse or slandering other ministers, you can know that that does not come from God. Okay, this is a religious thing. This is ungodly when you have ministers doing jokes about other ministers, being nasty to other ministers, slandering other ministries, uh, speaking bad about other ministers and ministries. This is something that the devil loves. It's the devil's favorite weapon. There's a, a respectful way to correct somebody. There's a respectful way to preach what you believe, but slandering people, gossiping about people, 
um, attacking people verbally. That is the devil's favorite weapon. It's what they did here in the book of Acts, and it's demonic, okay? It's, so now that leads to an assassin, assassination plot against the men of God, and ultimately, they need to flee. Now, some of you would say, why don't they just stay and get killed and let, the, uh, you know, let them get persecuted? Because God also wants us to use common sense. So it, God would often have the disciples flee from being persecuted or flee from being murdered. So it's not cowardly if someone wants to kill you in a city to flee to another city. That's called common sense. And ultimately, the Holy Spirit led them to flee. Acts 4, 8 through 13. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice. Wow, Paul was loud. That's interesting there. Stand up straight on your feet. As he leaped and walked, now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the um, Laconian language, this is what they said in their language, okay? Very pay attention here. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, they called, Her they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in the front of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. Okay. Let me paint the picture. Paul and Barnabas heal this man that was lame from birth. And in their own language, these Lyconian people from Lystra start saying, the gods, Zeus and Hermes, have come down from the heavens and are among us. And there's this massive temple erected to Zeus, a Greek god. And the priest of the temple of Zeus starts saying, we're going to sacrifice to these men. Now, there was a local legend that the two gods, Zeus and Hermes, had once came in human form and visited the town of Lystra, and, in, and only an old man and woman offered them hospitality, and the gods were angry and destroyed the city, wiping out the entire population except the old couple, okay? That's a Greek story that was a, a local legend there, that these Greek gods came in human form, and only people that would show them hospitality was an old man and old woman, so they wiped out the whole city, and they let the old man and the old woman live. The reason why they're going so crazy about this and bringing sacrifices and rolling out the red carpet is because they don't want to make the same, same mistake. In turn, they begin to worship Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas, not understanding the local language, didn't realize what was happening at first. And the priest of Zeus, whose job was to keep the gods happy, he brought bulls to sacrifice to the visiting deities, okay, in quotes. So he's like, these are gods, we're going to sacrifice to them. Acts 14, 14 through 18. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitudes, crying out and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all the things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these things, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. So here's what Paul and Silas did. They start ripping, um, I'm sorry, Paul, not in Silas, Paul and Barnabas did. They start ripping their clothes. They go into this crazy riot crowd and they go, look, look at our skin. Look at our hands. Look at our flesh. We're not gods. We're mere mortals just like you because they know it's incredibly dangerous to accept worship, praise, or exaltation. How do they know? 
because Herod got killed for taking God's glory. Remember, Herod accepted the praise of the people and God struck him dead. It's a very dangerous thing when we let people put us in a position of a God. Make us into a God that we are not. And friend, this is something we do at our services. People get mad because if you come to our in-person services, I don't let you get in a prayer line where I'm the only one that can pray for you. I don't let you line up and say, I need Isaiah to pray for me. He has a special power. I don't do that. We always have a prayer team there that will pray for you. And I go and pray for people on my own accord. I don't let people line up. Why? Because I will not be an idol. I do not want to be praised. I don't want to be worshiped. I'm not Jesus. I'm not a God. I am mere flesh. I'm mere flesh just like you. And this is why we can't idolize people. Okay? We can't elevate people to the place of God and worship them. This is why I'm very against celebrity Christianity and celebrity worship. And so I don't ever want to be that. I want to make sure I'm always pointing you to Christ. Always pointing you to God always empowering the church and the prayer team and never letting myself become an idol or a God, never, you know, being the guy you have to come to. I have to deliver you. I, you guys already know. I always tell you, go on the map, go find a believer, go to a church because I'm not the only one. I'm just a mouthpiece, but I'm not the only mouthpiece. So we got to make sure that we stay humble and we don't let people worship us. Acts 14, 19 through 20. We're almost done. We're about to pray. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. So some scholars believe Paul actually died because of the Greek wording and the disciples raised him up from the dead. And Paul with no fear, think about this. Paul goes right back into the city that they just, they just killed him. And he goes right back into the city. And sometimes God will take you right back to the place where the devil tried to kill you. Sometimes God will take you right back to that place where you should have died, almost died, could have died. But God will send you back to preach the gospel. Acts 14, 21 through 25. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. In other words, this is not an easy walk, okay? So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, notice that, they commended them to the Lord in whom they believed. And after they had passed through um, Pisidia, they had come to Pamphylia, and they had preached the word of God in Perga. They went down to Italia. So now they're going about preaching. They're strengthening the disciples and encouraging them and appointing elders. They're fasting, they're praying, and they're making sure every church has elders and leaders that can help govern and steward the church. Acts 14, 26 through 28, and then we're going to recap and be done and pray. From there, they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done and they had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stared there a long time with the disciples, okay? So they came back to the home base in Antioch. The sending church waited and prayed for them to come back. And Paul and Barnabas, after two plus years of this missionary journey, come back to the church and report what God has done and stayed among the church there in Antioch for, su for such time, okay? Those of you just jumping on, we're about to pray. Let me go over a recap. Man, time flies. We've been live an hour and 20 minutes. Okay, recap. A group of spiritually powerful prophets and teachers met together, fasted, and prayed in Antioch. The Holy Spirit communicated his desires through them and said, Barnabas and Saul were going to be sent out into the Gentile world. 
The team sailed to Cyprus, where they preached in the synagogues at Paphos. The governor wanted to hear the gospel, but the Jewish sorcerer, the false prophet Bar-Jesus, kept him from hearing it. In an outburst of power, Paul stopped the sorcerer and struck him blind. From Cyprus, they traveled to Antioch, Pisidia. Paul showed how Christianity grew through Judaism roots. When the synagogue leader opposed them, threw them out, they shared Jesus with the Gentiles. Many believed when persecution started, they fled. The team had an effective ministry all throughout their campaigns. Uh, people started slandering them, uh, threatening them with death, even stoned Paul. And Paul ended up going back and preaching to those people. At Lystra, the lame man's healed. They thought Paul and Barnabas were gods. Paul and Barnabas tore their clothing, letting them know that we're mere humans. Look at our skin. We're just like you. And there was a great revival in that city. After preaching there, they went back to Antioch where their home base was and they shared the report of what God has done. That is Acts chapter 13 and 14. I know Acts is long. We're getting through it tonight, but I believe that it's a book that has power. I believe it is a book that is relevant for today. And I believe that book of Acts has no amen and God wants us to live this thing out. So let us pray. Father, we pray tonight, Lord, that you would empower us to walk out the ministry that you have called us to walk out. I pray, Lord, that you would baptize us in power. I pray that you would release your authority over us. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us in the midst of persecution. Lord, we know that death is gain. We know that, Lord, that there is persecution coming. And we pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us in the hour of testing. You would strengthen us in the time of persecution. I pray, Lord, like the disciples had that boldness. I pray, Lord, that you'd release boldness over us in Jesus' name. We pray tonight, bodies be healed in Jesus' mighty name. If you're sick in body, I want you just to begin to pray for yourself right now and believe God to heal. Right now, Father, we pray for the healing power of God to be released over bodies in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, that you'd begin to heal bodies right now in this broadcast. I pray, Lord, that you'd begin to deliver those that are being demonized, those that are being uh, attacked by the devil. I pray, Lord, that you would rise up a standard, that you'd rise up a banner. Lord, that you would send your angels to minister according to Hebrews 1 to the heirs of salvation. Father, we ask you for breakthrough tonight, Lord. Deliverance tonight, Lord. We ask for baptism of the Holy Spirit and power. Father, I want to stay humble. Lord, keep us humble. Keep us lowly. God, we don't want to be like Saul as a king exalted, but God, we want to be like Paul lowly. And I just pray, Lord, that you would release humility right now in Jesus' name. Lord, break pride right now in Jesus' name. If there's pride in our hearts, if there's pride in our minds, I pray, Lord, break it right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I just ask you for just humility. You know, We know that your word says that you resist the proud. Let us never become proudful, prideful. Let us never become arrogant. Let us never become haughty. But Lord, let us remain teachable. Let us remain humble before you. Let us never think that we're above reproach or above leadership or above hearing the message. But Lord, I pray today, it, this message would be relevant to every single one of us. Lord, we know that your word says when the message is preached, that the bird comes who is the devil and tries to steal the seed and steal the word. And we say tonight, the devil will not, the devil will not steal this word in Jesus name. But God, right now that you are removing every false spirit, God, every false prophet, every bar Jesus, God, every attack, every assignment of the enemy that's tried to attach itself to us, like Bar-Jesus, the sorcerer, attached himself to the proconsul. I pray, Lord, that you would remove the attachments, the leeches, God, the relationships that are draining people right now in the chat. I pray, Lord, remove it in Jesus' name. Remove it. Remove the relationships that are draining us, God. 
Remove those demonic spirits that are leeches, that are sucking the life out of us. I pray, Lord, that you would just release your deliverance power. It's by the finger of God, the spirit of God. We thank you, Lord, for your power. We thank you that you are delivering us from anxiety, from depression, from suicidal thoughts, from anger, from bitterness, from rage, from resentment, from unforgiveness, God. Spirits of infirmity are leaving in Jesus' name. The power of God is being released, Lord. This is your desire, just as you did in the book of Acts. We thank you, Lord, that this is still going on today. There are people in the chat that have been called to be a prophet, that have been called to be an apostle, that have been called to be a teacher, that have been called to be a pastor, that have been called to be a leader. Father, we ask you in Jesus' name to release your power, in Jesus' name to release your anointing. Father, do what only you can do tonight. Restore the brokenhearted. Father, tonight we pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Russia right now, Father. We pray healing over Ukraine. We pray healing over Russia. We pray, Lord, that you would stop this demonic agenda of Putin. We pray, God, that you would cancel these assignments, God, that you would send your warfare angels, God, to make war against these demons that are bringing death and destruction and confusion. I pray that you would be with the people in Ukraine, God. I pray that you would give them strength that you'd give them resilience, that you would bring them hope, that you draw near to the brokenhearted. And I pray, God, for Russia, for the people in Russia, Lord, many of them are not in agreement with this. I pray that you bring healing over them, God. I pray that you'd bring restoration over those in Russia. Guys, people are waking up and their bank accounts are emptied out and their, their money's frozen. Their life savings is depleted. It's absolutely tragic, all because of the choices of Vladimir Putin. And Father, we ask you right now in Jesus' name that you would be with those that are in Russia that are losing everything because of this man's decisions. Not only in the Ukraine, but also in Russia, those that are losing sons and daughters in this war, those that are losing their 19-year-olds or 18-year-olds, their Russian children are being are, are lost in this senseless battle. I pray that you be with them, God, both Ukraine and in Russia. God, I pray, Lord, that you would break off all fear. Those of you that are afraid, there's fear because we are at the last days. I pray, Lord, that you would break off the spirit of dread, the spirit of terror, and the spirit of fear. You have not given us the spirit of fear. Fear is a demonic spirit according to the Bible, and God hasn't given us that spirit, that spirit of timidity, that spirit of fear. I pray, Lord, we thank you that you've given us love, peace, joy, a sound mind. And Holy Spirit, we just ask you right now that you would just bring rest upon everybody that's been weary, that's been tired. God, give us a burden for fasting. Give us a burden for prayer. Give us a burden to get in your word, God. Give us a burden to get in the secret place. Lord, we don't want to be casual. We don't want to be complacent. We Guys, we are in the last days. I'm telling you right now, we are in the last days. These are the hours and the days to get serious for God. Open up our eyes. Open up our eyes in Jesus' name. Wake those people up, Father. Shake them up. Those that are right now in the chat that are sleeping and that are just asleep, I pray, Lord, that you'd wake them up in Jesus' name. Power of God be released. Power of God be released. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, God. And guys, we need to stay in prayer for Ukraine. We need to stay in prayer for Russia. I did share a relief fund that has been set up that I've sowed in significantly to and much of our people have as well. And so we need to uh, make sure we keep them in prayer. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.